Well, good morning. If I've never had the chance of meeting you, my name is Scott, and I know we have new folks that come every week, and it's exciting, and we thank God for you coming to worship with us. And um, we're in a series called Seasons Change, and we began a couple weeks ago. And what we're doing is, as a whole church community, we have a devotion that was written by several folks within our, our church community that you, we, you've been following. If you haven't, you can start tomorrow. It goes Monday through Friday. And it's leading up to uh, the sermon each week. So you read about temptation all week long in your devotion. And if in home groups are have, studying the same uh, material about temptation in each season. Last week, for example, we looked at a season of loneliness. And so we're taking uh, temptation, stress, failure, and then we're going to end with a season of waiting. So today we're talking about temptation. And just like the physical seasons change, Brian was talking about that, that you know, we went from summer to fall and it's gonna go from fall to winter and winter to spring and start all over again in the natural. That happens in our lives personally. We go through seasons. There's seasons where God seems really close. Sometimes there's seasons where he seems a million miles away. There's seasons of doubt. There's seasons of, of, of like I said, failure and stress and that comes and goes in life. Well, this season of temptation, I was trying to equate that in my mind and I thought, well, it's kind of like going to Hawaii. If you lived in Hawaii, yeah, you go from summer to fall to winter to spring and it actually is those time on a calendar, but it doesn't really change, does it? You go to Hawaii and it's 70, 80 degrees year round and it's, it's perfect, so there really isn't any change. I think that's kind of true when it comes to temptation. How many know what I'm talking about? It, we're always tempted. We're always in somewhat of a season of, of temptation to be our own boss, to do our own thing, to go our own way. But there are seasons where it is more intense, where you will find yourself in a deeper uh, tem season of temptation. And I believe that, number one, God's gonna do something in your heart if you're in a season of temptation right now. And I believe he's also gonna do some preventative care for you when you're gonna go through one in the future. So um, we're gonna read from Genesis chapter three. And Genesis chapter three might be one of the most important passages in the Bible to understand a, a biblical worldview, to understand why are there shootings why is there chaos? Why is there sadness? Why is there suffering? Why is there the, the, just the junk we see on a daily basis? Genesis chapter three sets a biblical understanding of why and, and what happened to cause and set all this into motion. And to understand Genesis three and what I'm about to read to you is really to, un, you, if you understand this, then you'll understand why you need the gospel and why we need Jesus to overcome um, temptation and sin. So I'm gonna read from chapter three. God had just created the heavens and the earth in chapter one. He creates Adam and Eve and brings them together in chapter two. And then all of a sudden in chapter three, we see their temptation. We'll pick it up. Now the serpent, talking about the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Now, if you remember back in chapter two, God told Adam and Eve, you can have any of these fruit from any of these trees. I reserve this one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for myself. Don't eat from that. If you eat from it, you're gonna die. He said that in chapter two. Well, Eve responds and she says, says the woman said to the serpent, we may eat 
fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. You see, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That was the temptation. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? He answered. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. There's a ton there. First of all, God knew what had happened. He wasn't caught off guard by this. That's kind of a, a poetic way of them dialoguing together. So don't stumble over that and wonder whether God really knew what was going on. He did. The other thing I find interesting is it says, Eve was tempted and after she took the fruit, she gave some to Adam. So he was obviously standing right there watching her get tempted and watching this whole thing. He stood by passively and let his wife get tempted and then he fell into it. What happened? God didn't hold Eve immediately accountable. He held Adam accountable for not taking care of his, his wife and for not standing up to, to that deception that was going on. And then Adam blamed Eve. Eve blames the devil and we've been blaming each other ever since, right? It's your fault, it's somebody else's fault, it's the devil's fault, it's the government's fault, it's this person's fault. And the bottom line is, this passage of scripture tells us how, in my opinion, where temptation comes from and how to deal with it. Temptation by definition, to be enticed or allured to do something unwise, wrong, or immoral. That's totally what happened in this passage. They were enticed, they were allured to do something unwise, wrong, or what God had told them not to do in the first place. Let me give you, a, unpack this a little bit, give you a few facts about temptation that I see from this passage. First of all, temptation's roots come from questioning God's word, God's character, and God's authority. All temptation has its roots right here in questioning God's word, his character, and his authority. I, I don't know if you realize this, if you haven't studied the Bible much, you'll find throughout scripture the reason Satan became Satan, the reason Satan fell was because he questioned God's word, character, and authority. And you see that alluded to in several parts of scripture, both in the book of Isaiah and the book of Revelation, that Satan was a created being. He was an angel created by God to do God's work, to minister, and to worship God. And scripture says that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be the boss. He wanted to, to, to call the shots. 
And because of his pride and because of his falling into this temptation and questioning God's authority, he fell. And the book of Revelation says that he took a third of the angels with him, fell. And that's the demonic world that, that is still around us today. So there's Satan in the demonic world. They fell because they wanted to be their own boss and they questioned God's authority. So the second fact about temptation, this is where it has its roots and how Satan fell. Well, temptation comes from Satan. It does. Temptation comes from Satan. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, in Luke chapter 4, it's the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was baptized, and it says he was led by the Spirit into the desert to what? Be tempted by the devil. So he's the tempter. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, Paul actually calls him the tempter. So that's the devil's, one of his key things he does is he tempts. Now, let's be careful. The devil made me do it. How many have ever heard somebody say that? The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He can't make you do something. But you know what he certainly does do? He certainly tempts you to do something. He is the tempter. He's the deceiver. When God gives you an idea, we call that inspiration. God gives you an idea, man, that's inspiration. When the devil gives you an idea, it's called temptation. You'll know the difference if you will learn to, to tune in to, to God. And so we hear those voices that say, go ahead, you know, no one's looking. You deserve it. You've had a rough week. You've had a rough month. That person really ticked you off. You know, whatever. It comes in those little subtle words. Did God really say that you shouldn't fill in the blank? Did God really say that you would die if you did this. It's that questioning of God's word, his character. We hear those, you know, no one's looking. Go ahead, you deserve it. And what happens is, is the devil teases out sin. He holds out the carrot and says, come on, you deserve it. Live a little, live it up. And then as soon as we, boom, we take the bait, he comes around with a heavy hand of the law and boom, hits you over the head and says, oh, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you thought you were a good person. And he condemns you with the law. So he teases sin out of you and me. We take the bait and then bam, he condemns us and, and, and has us in this tug of war where our eyes are no longer on God, his goodness and what God's called us to, to do and to be. Sin, and, and, and so that's where we get stuck. Another fact about temptation is temptation in itself is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. Hebrews 4.15 talks about Jesus as our great high priest, that he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. That's hard for us to understand the humanity of Jesus because Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And in his humanity, we have a hard time thinking that Jesus might have been tempted with a lustful thought or he might have been tempted with pride or he might have been tempted in the same ways that you and I are. He is, he was. The Bible is clear about that, but he was without sin. He never gave in to temptation. Sin is giving in to the temptation. Temptation itself is not a sin. I, I, I think sometimes we think that because a thought comes into our mind, that makes us guilty. That's not true. We can't control every thought that comes into our mind. You can't control everything that your eyes see all the time. 
What do you do with that temptation is when it becomes, is, is gonna become a sin. Acting out on that temptation is when it becomes a sin. So be relieved today. If a thought comes into your mind, don't act out on it. That's the key. Ask God for power. Ask God for strength. Ask Jesus to live his life through you. Another fact about temptation is temptation comes at us in various forms. Last night at about five o'clock, someone called me and offered me CU tickets as I was praying over the message and I was weeping before the Lord for all of you. I'm kidding. I was, I was praying and getting ready and I thought, man, I would love to go to this Oregon's in town. And, uh, and I didn't do it. So just th- think of me well when you think of me next time, right? <laughs> and I'm teasing on that. That wasn't exactly a temptation. I saw the weather report, so it was pretty easy. <laughs> but we're told in 1 John 2, 16 and 17 that, that the ways of the world, not the people of the world, but the world system is the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The boasting about what we have and what we do. That's kind of the, the world's way. And we're tempted to, to whatever we see in our eyes to lust after. We're tempted to lust after the things of our sinful nature or our flesh. Uh, pride, selfish gain, all of these things that it comes at us from different angles. If you were to poll everybody in this room, I thought about doing this at this very point in the message, but uh, if we were to put a poll up and you, you could text in, you know, do you struggle, you're tempted most with lust, with pride, with maybe taking something that's not yours, whatever it is, we would all have a huge, probably various angles that temptation hit each one of us. It's still temptation. Let me ask you a question. If you were to be honest right now, where do you find yourself being tempted the most? What is it that you find yourself being tempted the most either to do, to think, to see, to speak? What is it? Where is your temptations most great right now in your life? You'll get the most out of this if you begin to attach that to God's word and what he has to say this morning. Another fact about temptation is temptation never comes from God, but it comes from our own internal battle. James says, when tempted, don't ever say that God is tempting me because God can't tempt anyone and he won't tempt anyone. So when you're tempted, God's not the one doing that. There's a big difference between being tempted and being tested. Testing When we go through the trials of faith, when we go through the testing of our faith, that is meant for our personal growth. That's meant for our faith to persevere and to grow. And so when you're tested by life and the difficulties of life, God will allow that in your life for you to grow. But temptation, which comes from the devil and comes from our internal desires to have our own way, that's meant for our destruction. And we need to know the difference. And we need to be able to to discern the difference between the two. We need to take responsibility for temptation. Don't blame God. Don't blame others. Don't be a victim. Just say, you know what, Lord? I'm tempted right now. I need strength. I need power. Everything you're going to hear me say this morning is going to be you to get your eyes off your own willpower and strength and for us to get our eyes on God and his power working in and through us. Temptation, last fact about this is, temptation will not be outgrown this side of eternity. 
dang it. <laughs> I thought we had some good news, right? Temptation, you don't outgrow it. You learn how to deal with it and you grow through it. That's part of the sanctification process, but it's never gonna fully go away. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter seven, it's a great chapter to go read about the internal battle that goes in, inside of us when we're tempted. And Paul is, he's being so honest in his own life. He's, he says, the things that I find myself that I know I should do, I don't do. And the things that, that I don't wanna do, I find myself doing. And he's, he's just being honest about how the harder he tries to obey the law, that his sinful nature is more aroused. And he finally puts his hands up in the air and says, who will rescue me from this body of death and sin? He says, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, we have the victory. It always comes back to that. Thanks be to God through Jesus. The harder you and I try in ourselves, the more difficult it's gonna be. I remember many, many years ago, we were at a, speaking of CU football, we were at a CU football game and uh, it, was, it was Coach McCartney's last game, if you guys can remember way back that far, legendary CU coach. And um, we were on the, you know, had pretty decent seats. And at the end of the game, they knew there was going to be a temptation for people to, to rush the field and go tear down the goalposts, you know, and the students. And they said, you know, do not rush on the field. Do not take the, off the goalposts. And I don't even think we had thought about doing it at that point. But now that you told me I can't do it, I, I really want to rush out on this field. And there was a battle. And I think my dad actually went out on the field and I was like, hey, come on, dad. And anyway, I got to rat him out in front of everybody. But <laughs> my brother did too, for the record. He's not here to defend himself. But I was really holy and I stayed in, the, in there. And come back, my children. Thank you, thank you. You've probably heard this story too, though. I was standing at the top of the Eiffel Tower one time we were in Paris and we'd come home through a mission trip. Got to the very top and saw a sign that said, do not spit off the top of the Eiffel Tower. All of a sudden I thought, geez, I didn't even think about spitting, but that could be cool. Uh, what about this sign over here? And I was like, <laughs> I let it go. I watched it all the way. It didn't hit anybody, but man, I didn't even think about it until I was told I couldn't do it. Is that not true for us in our lives? That we're told we can't do something? What do you mean I can't do that? Now I want to do it. And that's the battle that happens within us. So how do we overcome temptation? How do we overcome temptation? Willpower will not work. We need God's power. A couple things about this. First of all, take a humble approach towards it. If you're going to overcome temptation, first of all, take a humble approach towards it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Even if you think you can stand up to temptation, be careful not to fall. That's a, don't, don't get too big for your britches there, as they like to say down south. <laughs> don't think that you, you got this all figured out. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord or how much Bible you know, you're still going to uh, be tempted and go through this. It's easy to judge someone else's struggles as a weakness, it's easy to judge when things are going good and, and strong for us. We're in a good season. Man, look out. That's probably when it's going to blindside you and you need to be ready for it. Don't play with fire. You're going to get burned. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Proverbs 6 says, can a man scoop fire in his lap and not get burned? I mean, that's, if we play with fire, we're going to get burned. 
because we don't stay humble, usually three things happen to us when we're tempted and, and we fail. When, when, when we don't stay humble, temptation and failure come, we, we, we answer with shock. How, how did I do that? <laughs> you ever thought that before? How, how did I do that? How did I end up here? Or we go through maybe frustration, and we think, why do I keep, why do I keep falling? Why do I keep failing? And then it ultimately leads to discouragement. We think to ourselves, I can't change. I'll never change. And we get discouraged. Listen, stay humble and know your weakness. Know that, but by the grace of God and the power of God, we are all susceptible to temptation. Second thing I would tell you is this. Talk with a trusted friend about it. If you're in a season of temptation, talk with a trusted friend about what it is you're struggling with or what you're being tempted by. The other day, I think it was Friday, Thursday or Friday, um, we had a plumbing problem in our house. We have an old house and the faucets were leaking and we've had one problem after the other. And my neighbor was kind enough to come over and help me because I'm the worst fix-it man on the planet. And um, I thought I actually had this fixed too, that shows you. But uh, he was over and helping and I went downstairs to our, our main water supply. And it's a little thing you twist and turns all your water off so you can't ha have any water running through your house. Well, when that happened, it was old. It began to leak really bad. Like water was like pouring out of our main water. I was like, what, How, what do we do now? I was about ready to call Dunright and give them a thousand bucks or whatever that they you know, would have ended up charging me. And my neighbor goes, no. He goes, you have a cover out in the front of your yard, a little manhole cover, and we can shut the water off. And it's kind of like in the olden days when you didn't pay your water bill, they came by and they shut the water off. I know how to do that now. So don't do that at my house, but I won't do it to you either. But we went outside and we pulled the cover off. And it was this, you could tell it, like it was hard to get this pulled out of the grass. And when we pulled it out, it was like, yeah, I mean, all these creepy crawly things were in there, you know, insects you only see and live in the dark. There had been no light down in there in a long time. I was waiting for something to jump out. My neighbor was even nervous and he's a tough guy. And we had the flashlight. Like, you gonna stick your arm down there? I don't know if I wanna stick my arm down there. He actually did it. He was a good guy. But the, 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 the thought hit me was temptation and sin and struggles need to be brought into the light. When we, when we hide that stuff, it's like those creepy crawlies down in that manhole cover where you shut the water off. There's cobwebs in our heart and things that, ew, that, that need the light of God to come in. You know how that happens? You talk to someone about it. Obviously, you talk to God, but you've, you've learned this. You can talk to God about your sin, and we should. Do not hear me say anything other than that. But when you humble yourself and you talk to a friend about it, there's a light that comes on in your, in your life, a humility that happens when you talk with somebody else about it. Go back to the garden with me for a second, the text that we read. You remember when Adam and Eve had, had failed, it says that, that they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. What in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, there's two kinds of nakedness. And uh, it's gonna get a little PG-13, I'm kidding. It's, there's, there's two kinds of nakedness though. There is naked and unashamed and there's naked and whoa, ashamed. 
and it's kind of like you're in the shower and nobody's watching you take a shower and you're washing your hair and you're singing and zippity doo dah and it's all good, right? But if somebody, boom, came barging in, whoop, you're covering up because you've been exposed and there's a, a different feeling of nakedness. I'm not trying to be crude just to be funny. We gotta apply this to, our, to our, the depths of our hearts. Why did Adam and Eve wanna cover up? Well, now they, they had shame. They experienced shame for the first time in their life. And they wanted to cover up from God and they wanted to cover up from each other. And shame, that feeling of, if, if, man, if you really knew who I was, if you knew, really knew what I was struggling with, you wouldn't, you'd reject me. You would, and Satan loves to use the fear of rejection to keep us from uh, in our temptations and our struggle. Listen, he'll tell you, he'll whisper in your ear, listen, if you tell them that, they're not gonna think well of you. You've been a Christian for a long time. You should be over this. You should have already dealt with it. You'll hear that. Listen, he's a liar and a deceiver. And we bring that to light when we talk to somebody about it. We feel guilt over our actions and our behavior. We feel shame as an identity. Having shame as a sense of identity is we're right where the devil wants you to be. Jesus came and bore our shame. He was humiliated and battered and bruised and bled so that we could have a new identity, that we could be new creations in Christ, that the old had passed away and all things could be made new. We don't wanna give Satan that foothold in our life. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the first part, it says you're tempted in the same way that everyone else is tempted. So when you open up about your own temptation, somebody else is going, yeah, been there, done that, I have that same thing. So we're told in James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's a power in accountability. There's a power in, in, in sharing your temptations. I'm in a core group. And at, here at Novation, and at Novation, we have a very organic thing called core groups. There's not a thing on the website that you sign up for it. There's not a, you know, a class for it or anything like that. It is an organic thing where people have sought out one another and said, I need people around me that I can be accountable for and be accountable to. And I'm in one. And we meet every other week. And... I'm so thankful in that group. I'm not Pastor Scott and I'm not this or that. We're real and we talk about the, the stuff that we, that we struggle with. And so there's four or five you know, guys, four or five girls together and there's a, there's a consistency there and it comes from relationship and it's built out of trust. You're gonna continue to hear more and more about core groups, but my question for you is do you have somebody like that that you can pour your heart out to and share? Third thing is this, trust God to help you through it. Trust God to help you through temptation, a season of temptation. What are you being tempted by again? Ask God to give you wisdom. He tells us it's not on your notes, but he tells us, call to me in your day of trouble and I will answer. I mean, we have a 24-7 hotline through prayer and the Holy Spirit to talk to God about anything at any time. Here's what you gotta remember about God. He's not shocked by your temptation and struggles. He doesn't go, are you kidding me, Scott? You're struggling with what? You should, yeah, come on. 
But don't we tend to put God in that box where we think he's gonna be mad at us if we get real with him? Listen, he already knows everything from the beginning to the end. We're not hiding anything from God. It's, we act silly like Adam and Eve did in the garden and we go and hide. God sees and knows everything. Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray that over and over and over. He said, deliver us from evil. That made me think of Moses, how God called Moses to deliver the children of Israel uh, externally, physically out of Egypt into the promised land. We have a deliverer in the person of Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit that we can turn to internally every time we have temptation. He will answer your prayer if you ask him to deliver you from temptation and deliver you from evil. The second part of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he said, you're tempted in the same way everyone else is tempted, but God can be trusted not to let you be tempted too much, and he will show you how to escape from your temptations. That's a pretty cool promise right there to hold on to. And then lastly, I would tell you, if you're gonna overcome temptation, you gotta train for it. You gotta train for it. Um, I, I worked out with Seth this week. Seth trained me at his house. If I'm walking a little funny, it's because I use muscles I didn't even know I had. And it was awesome because you know, I, I, I do want to be in, in, in better physical shape. You don't just show up and be in good physical shape because you want to. You train for it. If you're gonna overcome temptation in any way, you have to train for it. I heard a, a, a cool little story about an Indian chief who uh, a missionary was having a conversation with an Indian chief. And the Indian chief had two dogs. He had a good dog and he had a bad dog. And they would fight. These two dogs would fight. And the missionary said, which dog tends to win the fight? And the Indian chief said, the one I feed. Think about that. The dog that's fed and ready for the fight is the one that's gonna win when it comes to the battle. If you have a stray cat show up at your doorstep and you begin to put milk and food outside for that cat, it's gonna keep showing up. Some of you like that, but non-cat people, we'd be going, what, we go away, just kidding. But don't write me letters on that. Cat people are looking at me funny. But if you feed a stray cat, it's gonna continue to show up. If you feed your temptation, how do you think you're gonna overcome it? How am I gonna overcome it? If I feed it, you're not gonna overcome it. I heard a guy say one time, what you don't hate, you tolerate. And if I don't learn to hate sin and, and self-destructive behavior, if I don't hate it, I'm gonna tolerate it. I'm gonna let it hang around like a stray cat and continue to, continue to feed it. We're told in, in Romans 13, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Make no provision for the flesh means don't provide for opportunities for temptation. I wanna show you a clip from, uh, it, it's a movie called Fireproof. It was made several years back and it's uh, Kirk Cameron plays a fireman who is in a difficult marriage. They're in a difficult season of life and he had been tempted several times to look at internet pornography and they were fighting and just 
not much intimacy in their marriage, and so there's this struggle going on. I think this is a pretty cool little visual to what, it, what does it mean to not provide for the flesh and actually learn how to train yourself to fight temptation. Are you willing to go to extreme measures? I want to, and I know we want to, as a group of Christ followers together, go to extreme measures to make sure we don't provide for that temptation. Jesus said, we read this earlier, watch and pray so that you will not fall to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're gonna take communion in a second, but I wanna, I'm gonna show you another clip. I want you to, to stay with me on this. There was a book that was turned into a movie a few years back, several years back actually. It was called A Vow to Cherish. And in this movie, it was made by the Billy Graham Association. There was a, a couple that raised a family together. And the, early in the movie, you see this husband judging his brother-in-law because he was a womanizer. He's judging his, his brother-in-law because he can't stay true to, to one woman and so on and so forth. Well, as the story progresses, his wife gets Alzheimer's really bad. And it gets to the point where she can't remember who he is or anybody is, and he's taking care of her. Well, on a, on a daily basis, his kind of outlet is, I'm gonna go for a jog. And he goes on a jog and runs the same path, and all of a sudden, he meets this lady who's single, and they begin to jog together. And what starts out as something very innocent, there becomes an emotional connection. He is not connected to his wife anymore because he's taking care of her and there's no intimacy. He's lonely. He's in a deep season of temptation. Will he be faithful to his wife even though she can give no love back to him emotionally, physically, in any way? Is he gonna be faithful? And he's under this deep, deep temptation. Well, he lived out each one of the points that I've been trying to make to you this morning that you gotta take a humble approach towards temptation because he was judging other people in their life and all of a sudden he found himself in the temptation. He does talk to a trusted friend named Alexander. He does trust God to help him through it and he had ultimately trained for temptation by the word of God being hidden in his life. And so this clip that I wanna show you is where he's, he's repenting and going in a new direction. He knew he was headed towards temptation and acting out on it, he does a 180, this is his response. We're gonna move into to communion, and as we go, I'm gonna tell you just to go grab the elements and um, come back to, to your seat. We're gonna take it together. I was gonna go a different direction, but I wanna take it all together. So if you go, you grab the bread, grab the juice. Before we go and do that, I wanna read to you a scripture. It's from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's because of Jesus that we can approach God's throne of grace no matter what we've done, where we've been, what we've experienced, what we're being tempted with. We can find forgiveness and truth and we can find hope. Today, as we go to the communion table, examine your heart. Have you received Jesus 
and his finished work on your behalf, that he, he died a brutal death. His body was beaten, his blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. He was our substitute. Receive him into your life, build your life on him. And as you take the elements this morning, what we're gonna do together in just a minute, receive grace. We can boldly come confidently because of Jesus, not because of ourselves.